and welcome again to another fantastic episode of what are we doing again oh god all right all right let's do the ritual tiny tiny ritual blessings to the earth below us in us all around us thank you so much for uh bodies having bodies corporeal bodies is pretty interesting blessings to the water mm. cleanse us of all that we no longer need slake our thirst help us move in a good way back to the ocean let the rains fall where they need to fall blessings to all beings Spirit of fire, light our way. Spirit of fire, keep us warm. Teach us to respect the power of nature. Thank you so much. Blessings to the spirit of air. Help our words be carried to exactly who they need to be carried to. Help us receive exactly what messages songs vibrations communications we absolutely need to be attuned to thank you so much for all that you do for us great powerful elemental spirits blessings to space which holds all elemental forces the great space the great sky of all being which holds all bodies was never born and will never die thank you so much for all that you do for us Today is an interesting one. I came prepared with a topic to talk about, and so I'm gonna have to uh, gonna have to invoke that spirit. So today we are going to talk with and about and to and from uh, the spirit that English-speaking people uh, call pain, knowing that English words are just uh, signposts to something far greater. But I am I am invoking the spirit of pain in a way that could uh, be a teacher, a wisdom teacher, not something that is going to flood us or make us not be able to listen, but to actually be able to listen with, to, and from the being and the relationship that we call pain. So I ask that that spirit comes in in a good way and is already in my body. I had a big pain attack last night, which I'll get into pretty soon, um, which is how this magical thing goes, is that you, you, you decide that you're going to do a podcast about pain or a show about pain, and then the night before you get racked with pain. So that's good to know that magic is, is real. Um, but before we get into that, blessings to the moth baby. Help us to uh, fly around towards the light, whatever that means. Help us to uh, reach the light inside the darkness. So all that being said, we're going to get into it. Let me see if anyone's waiting in the waiting room. No, no waiting room time. Great. Okay. So, um, 
Let me just talk from my specific body first, and then we'll get into some ideas, theories, practices, etc. about um, this being that we call pain that cannot be destroyed, solved, fixed, eradicated, cured, but could be related with differently. So, yeah, last night I had a like a flare-up of my gastrointestinal issues. Um, for those who don't know, I had uh, extreme GI issues starting at age 28 that were acute and severe and uh, started my whole sort of post-tragic path of discovery. Um, yeah, I ate a lot of cheap food when I was a kid. There was no idea about real nutrition. Very poor family, can't afford a lot. Uh, I ate a lot of foods that I didn't know I was allergic to, like 2% milk and uh, white bread, gluten. And so by the time I was 18, I was having neurological issues, but I didn't know because I was having neurological issues. No fucking idea. Um, and, you know, this is very basic pre-internet or right as the start of internet. Because internet started to come into my school when I was like 16. So I had like internet for like two years. So it was not like, oh, Wikipedia, I can look at gut microbiome. No, you can't do any of that shit. Um, so I started having neurological issues around uh, 18, 19, 20. Saved up money. Moved away from home on a Greyhound bus with a backpack to Portland, Oregon, lived here for three years, uh, discovered alcohol, hadn't done any drugs before that, started mainlining the alcohol because it was the only thing that felt good. And of course I wasn't putting anything together yet. And then I ended up going to Burning Man and living in the Bay Area and um, still drinking, but got introduced to psychedelics. And from that moment, I started being able to actually research. So once I, once I felt the after effects of a little pill called MDMA, I started becoming very curious uh, what the fuck was going on. Because the afterglow of this MDMA, like I went to work after the weekend in a mail room. I worked, I worked for the newspaper in San Francisco for like a year in the mail room. Um, it was like my first real job. It's probably my first like technically only real corporate job. Um, uh, and so I had these like afterglow feelings where I didn't feel pain. And of course I'd also tried heroin too. So I had some, I had, I had a bit of both understanding like, oh, right. Something's going on <laughs> in the neurochemistry. And so I started researching neurochemistry around like age 25. And just, it was in that moment I first was like trying to figure out, um, just optimization of feeling better. I wasn't sick yet, or at least I didn't think I was sick yet. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So I was doing all this, you know, drug use and potentially some drug abuse. Like I, I wouldn't recommend the alcohol binging, but all the other stuff I'd totally recommend. Like you should experience all that other wacky shit if you can. Um, and... Um, yeah, are we ever pre-sick? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Jeff. That's the point. I don't think so. <laughs> There's only like recognition and unrecognition. There's like, do you agree? Or are you still lying to yourself? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, it's real. Um, but around age 28, of course, still drinking, um, the stuff start, you know, shit hit the fan, as it were. Um, I started to get really sick all the time. So I was like getting sick like every month from like a head cold, sinus infection. And I had tons of ear infections when I was a kid. So like being sick a lot was not new, but this was like, let's just start to get like every, like a lot all the time. Um, and uh, then I did, a, I did a terrible thing that was really stupid. I started to change my diet. And it was good and bad because I had to go through all this thing. So, you know, long story short, I decided that being vegan and then raw vegan was the way. It was first, it was pescatarian, which is fish, you know, fish based diet. And then it was vegetarian, vegan, raw vegan. By the time I got to raw vegan, I had made my situation a lot worse without knowing it. Because you could be raw vegan and still be pounding the gluten. It doesn't fucking mean anything. <laughs> it's very stupid. Eating raw broccoli when your system is like destroyed is a very bad idea. You should not do that. <laughs> you should not do that. <laughs> but I didn't know any better. And then I started researching because I, you know, I was just, it was worse and worse, right? So I didn't know what was happening. I started to go to different doctors, take a lot of different tests. I spent all my money on doctors, uh, boutique doctor's tests because I didn't have any uh, insurance. And of course, insurance wouldn't have mattered because you can't go to the doctor because you just don't feel good. They don't fucking care about you. Um, so I started researching paleo. So at that moment, paleo diet was starting to become pretty well known. And once I started figuring out paleo diet, that's sort of like when things started to turn for at least a little bit better. But this was like a multi-years long process. I had to do parasite cleanses, fungal cleanses. My gut, my gut was completely like overrun with who knows what. Um, my bowels were not really working. And this whole time I was dealing with this, I was still working in a nightclub. So just understand that like i have not the privilege to not work for the five plus years it took to deal with this i thought i had crohn's disease because i had every symptom of crohn's disease but they finally tested me for crohn's disease and they said i didn't have it <laughs> but i had every fucking symptom of crohn's disease and i've talked to people with crohn's disease during that time and i was like no we have the same problem i don't know what the fuck people are talking about but eventually what I ended up having to do was cut out a lot of foods. I had to eat a very limited diet. I couldn't eat nightshades, couldn't eat gluten, uh, couldn't eat uh, brassicas and other things like cauliflower and broccoli, cabbage, none of that stuff. Couldn't eat any of that. Um, and uh, yeah, no gluten, um, stuff like that. And I was still on and off sort of like drinking alcohol, which is a stupid thing to do. So don't don't let don't do what I did. But I was still doing it because I wanted to enjoy myself <laughs> because my life was so much so shitty. So this this period of time from age 28 to 32, I was racked with chronic pain, um, like joint pain all the time. So to get out of bed, I had to learn to trick myself because otherwise I wouldn't move and I'd be paralyzed in a kind of depression. So I figured out early on that one 
way to deal with chronic pain was just to live your life anyway and just be like, yeah, I'm in pain, but it's not going to stop me from moving. So that's the first kind of clue that something else was going on neurologically. So we build on the neurochemistry part. I started to study pain science a little bit. So studying pain science, still studying psychedelics, neurochemistry, neuroscience, still trying to heal my gut, still in pain all the time, still having brain fog all the time. I managed to do this. And eventually I did this diet for almost a, a year, I think, that kind of cured me of the Crohn's disease, which was, and I shit, I shit you not, this is wild. So I found this place in San Francisco that sold meat to like raw food people who, not raw food like uh, humans, for, for animals, right? So like, this was like a co-op in a warehouse that sold meat to, from farms, direct from farms to consumers for their pets. And on the back end of this business, if you said you had a pet, you could buy food for yourself. But because that was technically illegal because the food was for animals only, based on the FDA's description of what that means, you had to pretend you had for feeding it to a pet. And this food was the fucking best food I've ever had. I miss it so much. There was stuff there that you could never find anywhere else. And this was like a foodie's heaven. So I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Um, so what I ended up doing is they had this fucking hookup for a year that was just miraculous. So this is where magic starts to happen, right? It's miraculous shit. Because the whole time I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, heal myself. And I'm praying without knowing that I'm praying, right? And I'd had all these psychedelic experiences in my 20s. So I kind of knew that things were going on. Because when I took the mushrooms, people would walk out of the air and talk to me and I'd be like oh fuck you know something's going on here purple people walking out of the air and just being like Mur. I'm like whoa this is beyond <laughs> this something else is going on here um so I kind of knew and I was going on that path but I was still having a lot of doubt and I was still racked in pain so anyway back to the food so the food deal they had ox they had oxtails from bison that were not cut up so imagine this like four foot tails where there's no fur and skin on it anymore but there's fascia and meat and tendons and bone big ass bison tails in a fucking box so like 20 fucking bison tails and this shit was like 50 dollars like i am not even kidding you this is beyond ridiculous You'll never find this. I've never found this again in my life. This is so ridiculous. It's just not even funny. Like literally food that is sold on the internet for like $500, I was getting for like $50. It's really ridiculous. And so I would go home and I would take a crock pot and I would make these freaking oxtail stew in the crock pot and I basically ate oxtail stew and raw honey primarily for like a year. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. But I'm telling you, that was some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life. You barely had to put salt on it. And it was just like mana from heaven. It was this like gooey booger soup that was just like blah, blah, blah. And 
doing that after I had done parasite cleanses, after I had done fungal cleanses, candida cleanses, all this stuff that I had done before, it basically re-patterned my gut lining. So suddenly, at age 32, I was like, what the fuck? Did I cure this thing? Did I put it into remission? I still didn't eat gluten. I tested it. I was like, oh, when I eat gluten, I get pimples on my tongue. I should not do that. <laughs> you know, so I tested this shit out, right? Um, I wasn't just like, wow, I'm invincible. No, 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 no. I was like, great. I can start to eat things again. And then I could eat things like raw salads again and not get sick. So for me, that was like a, as good enough as a cure as I could find. It was like, oh, you can eat raw salads and not fucking have stomach pain. Holy shit, that's very useful. You should, you know, this is very great. So basically, I was able to eat a lot of things again. Still not some of the main things. No nightshades, no gluten, no, uh, no sort of like raw brassicas, none of that stuff. So, and I still have to watch that stuff. I can't eat peanuts. None of that. A lot of things I cannot eat right now. And that's fine. So, you know, it won't kill me, but it'll make me kind of, you know, put a lot of phlegm in my system, uh, make me have gastrointestinal issues, constipation, diarrhea. So I don't do any of that stuff. But anyway, here's the rub. So my dumbass thought I was cured. My dumbass thought I was cured. And I was still working in the nightclub. And I had a friend at the nightclub who had the same birthday as me. <laughs> so this, you know, magic shit is real. And they asked me to come help their aging, sick mother clean out their apartment so they would not die from their kidney transplant down in Southern California, L.A. So I did that. This is, I should not have done that. But I did it. So, something happened on that trip that is still mysterious and unexplainable. Uh, as I came, I, so the house was really dirty. There were too many cats. It was nasty. I didn't get sick right away. But when I came back, when I came back, I came down with a fucking head cold. And the head cold didn't go away. And... After about a week, I went to one of these boutique clinics where you just go pay them like a hundred bucks and they give you anti uh, antibiotics and stuff, right? So I did that and they gave me a Z-Pack. You know, if people know, you know, stuff about antibacterials and stuff, antibiotics, they give you a Z-Pack. So I took the Z-Pack and it did not get better. <laughs> so, and so I was like, okay, this cold isn't getting better. But remember, I had been basically sick for my whole life and acutely the last five years. So my ability to gauge what was serious and not serious was totally blown apart. I had no fucking idea if I was just being sick because I had been sick for five years. And this was just my life, right? I had no idea. So I go back to the clinic. I go back to the clinic and I'm like, I'm like sitting there and my girlfriend at the time is talking to the doctors and, um, and they're like, okay, uh, you don't look very good. We're going to hook you up to some machines, see what's going on with you. They hook me up to some machines and one of those machines is testing how much oxygen is in your bloodstream, how much oxygen you're picking up from breathing. 
And they were like, okay, if you don't go to the hospital right now, you're going to die in the next 12 hours. <laughs> so um, basically, I had contracted fungal pneumonia that had taken over my entire left lung and part of my right lung within a week, two weeks. I was not absorbing much oxygen <laughs> and um, go to the hospital. I'm very delirious and kind of completely don't know what's going on. I mean, I do, but I'm like, well, whatever, I guess I have to do this. They jam all these needles in my arm. It's totally just, you know, just, you know, like bruise the nerves. Like it doesn't matter. They're like, and, um, they start pumping like anti back. They pump medicine into my veins, basically. And um, that's when it started to get really real. So basically, every few hours, my system would suddenly burst out into like um, liquid detoxification. So like sweat but not sweat sweat and smell and who the fuck knows what started to come out of my body all the time they had to like change my sheets every night twice a night i lost about 50 pounds 60 pounds i was a skeleton when i came out of that hospital i was in that hospital for seven days i was lying in that bed staring at death, not knowing what the fuck I was staring at, but sort of like a gray space in front of me. I was like, what's going on here? And inside things were happening. And I was really like, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I kind of knew what was going on. So basically I'd come very, 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 very close to being like the other side. And so the other side was like, Hey, what's, what's up? You going to actually pay attention now? And you know, to my detriment, I really wasn't going to pay attention. I was trying to not pay attention. But I got out of the hospital. I couldn't walk a block down the street without stopping for gasping for breath. And all of my chronic pain came back, but none of the gastrointestinal stuff came back. So the gastrointestinal stuff was technically healed, like as in I could eat food, but the chronic pain and the like depression, low testosterone, all the other things, anxiety, depression, pain, whew, right through the roof, man, through the roof. So again, back to doctors, so terrible. One of the doctors I went to basically told me I had kidney disease. So I had to quit all my jobs and get prepared to like die from kidney disease. But really, uh, I didn't have kidney disease. It's because I Another another one of their doctors basically was telling me to take all this aspirin to deal with the pain and the aspirin flagged me for kidney disease later on. So long story short, a lot of doctors don't talk to each other. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So you, I kept digging myself a terrible hole. And then finally, eventually, I was like, fuck Western doctors, fuck all these tests. I'll go back to Chinese medicine that kind of helped me during my initial phase of sickness. Went back to Chinese medicine three times a week and also prayed for a miracle. Just so happens that the new place I worked in in Oakland had a guy who helped age. This is so weird, right? So I did all these tests on my own, found out that I had very, very low testosterone. 
and I did all this research and I decided, well, what if I did supplemental testosterone? Just so happens that the new place I started working at, one of the waiters was supplying so-called illegal steroids to all of his bodybuilding clients, but especially for aging males. So I was like, sign me up. <laughs> and I started injecting testosterone um, in my arm every other day, um, as well as going to Chinese medicine and keeping up with uh, nutrition and all that. And literally within like two months, I was better. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. So um, all the testosterone sort of allowed me to basically become a semi-professional dancer and actor and do all this crazy shit that I didn't have any time to do because I'd been sick since age 28. <laughs> so I'd been sick for like six years, seven years at this point. I was 35, taking test 34, 35, take, take the testosterone and was like, I'm going to go for it. And so that's where most people, that's where most of people know me from, is from the time after I got through that. Most people know me from the time where I was taking the testosterone, seemed like I was healthy, was able to do all this exercise, acting, theater, dance, etc. Take a lot of herbal medicine and take a lot of acupuncture. And... Now I'm 41. I don't take testosterone. I stopped taking the testosterone many over a few years. You know, I stopped when I moved away because I don't have the supplier anymore. So I don't do that. I don't I don't have all that supplemental help anymore. So I'm 41. My low testosterone is kind of returning. It sucks. It's very real. Um, the chronic pain is pretty much kind of returning too. That's really real. But I have all this data now. I have all this freaking data from a life lived like this. And I had studied all this stuff to try to deal with what I was going through. And that's the preamble to basically like, what the fuck is pain? From a neuroscience perspective, but also from an animist perspective. Because in the last few years, I've still done a bunch of entheogenic rituals. So I'm not like completely, you know, drug free, if you want to call it that. But I don't consider those beings to be drugs. I consider those beings to be medicines. And uh, they teach us a lot and they have relationships with us. So. So that's the preamble. So let's shake it out. What the fuck is pain? I'll start from the end. I'll start from what I believe now and sort of work back to the middle. The lecture series part of this weird podcast. Um, and I just want to stop and say this was kind of inspired by a post I saw online by um, Hallie Dulce, I think. Uh, I used to dance with them a little bit in the Bay Area. They had a, they had a little talky-talk thing on their Facebook about having a pinched nerve, chronic pain, and still being a dancer. So I was watching it and I was like, oh yeah, I, I could talk all day about this shit. And uh, it might be useful to do that. Also because in the last few Facebook posts and articles that I've written, I've mentioned this, this idea or this relationality with pain as a wisdom teacher. So just to recap, drum roll please, um, I consider there to be three teachers that we cannot 
cure that we in the West are seeking to cure all the time as a problem. And those teachers are fear, doubt, pain, and hunger. And so hunger could also be considered desire, longing, yearning, all that stuff. But in this talk, I'm going to focus primarily on pain and why you can't cure it, but you can get into a better relationship with it and ask it to teach you things and just live your life in that way. And also how to manage your nervous system when the acute pain signal gets too high for your system's thresholds and you go into over threshold or under threshold states like freeze, fight, flight, uh, collapse, anxiety, all that stuff, mania, right? So we have to, we have to look at it like that, like pain is a teacher, but um, the, the dose is in the, or the, the medicine is in the dosage, right? It's like too much acute pain without a sort of interruption of the nervous system's sensory apparatus would, could put you into a place that's actually uh, neurologically debilitating. And then the pain becomes this chronic uh, inflammation in the brain that isn't actually related to the original injury. So it gets really wild. So I'll unpack a bunch of that stuff. So the first thing to understand is that in science terms or in Western science terms, pain is really nociception, noci, which is Latin for noxious, right? So N-O-X, so noxious perception, nociception. It's, it's a receptor site. It's a, we have literal receptor sites for this nociception in our system. And so those nociceptors are trained to interpret signals or stimuli signals as a problem and you need to solve it. Okay? So this is what's up. This is what's up. Um, so there can be something like a called like a ghost pain signal, which is like a kind of hypnosis that your mind plays on you when it wants to keep you safe. So let's say you, you know, this is a very famous story. You can look at, I forget the name, but they're like a really, really great pain science people from like Australia, New Zealand. Um, and uh, I'll put it in the notes. I don't know the name right now. I forgot. But um, basically the story is you go walking in the forest and you see a stick but your mind interprets it as a snake and you jump back and you feel a sharp pain in your leg because you think the snake bit you but it didn't bite you it was a stick so that's the system being like here's some pain so you move out of the way because we think you're in danger but the system was fault like interpreting signals in a faulty way it was not refined and we do that all the time right then the other thing, but the but here's the here's the big issue. The inverse is also true. If you don't think you got bitten by a snake and you actually did, you don't feel anything. Because you think you're fine. Right? So this is wild shit. So what the fuck is pain then? We don't fucking know. That's the answer. The answer is pain is mysterious. It's a multi-causal process. 
it's a multi-causal process that um, activates our threat perception systems and our threat perception systems, depending on who we are, our past experiences, our ancestral experiences, our future predictions, tells our system how to feel. And so one of the ways that it tells our system how to feel is feel pain. So you could have an acute injury and feel pain, but you can also have an acute injury and not feel pain. And the injury would still cause the same effect as in, I can't move this part of my body. So there are people who like break their arm, don't feel it. And then there are people who bonk their arm on a tree, don't break anything, no bruise, no, fu no, no, no functional uh, degradation whatsoever, and they develop chronic pain. And they feel like their arm is being like tortured every day. This is fucking real shit. You can go research it on the internet. So again, pain, completely mysterious, kind of like a spirit. Kind of like a spirit that we can't seem to control all the time. Very, very interesting spirit pain. Can, you know, okay. So all of this. So it's, it's based on both pr predicting threat in the future and also feel like, like whatever we think we're being attacked by in the present moment, it will activate. And then there is a subset of actual physiological injury and sort of like degraded metabolic function causes pain. So basically like chronic slouching and then the fascia gets hard and then we have to stretch and my joints are cracky because I don't stretch enough and I don't lubricate them and I sit in this posture all the time and I develop a chronic pain syndrome based on a, a biomechanical interaction with my environment. So that's another real thing that ha is, is all on top of all of this. So how you walk, the shoes that you wear, the, the chairs that you sit in, the clothes that you wear, and how they restrict your breathing or not. Um, your eyesight and vision is a big indicator of uh, your pain level in your body, right? So I'm just throwing out nuggets and we'll get back to some of them, but not all of them. Um, so all of your senses, how refined your senses are can um, either increase or decrease how much you feel pain in a certain part of your body or just generally globally in your whole system. So I move, so, so a lot of vision training cures pain. The other thing too is um, respiration training. How you breathe can affect um, how you feel pain or not. Also how you produce vocal articulations so all of your tongue, your teeth, your jaw, your throat, your upper palate, your larynx inside your throat, all of this area really in, in, in really connected to how our system interprets threat response and pain levels. Of course, the gut, we talked about the gut. So if your gut is inflamed, your whole system is probably going to be inflamed. All your joints are probably going to hurt just because your gut has maybe some leaky gut syndrome or you're eating something that's not good for you 
or you're eating too late at night and it's not being able to be digested. So all of this stuff is part of it. This is, you can't, like, there's lots of, there's lots of buckets and stones we can turn over. But I've just kind of give the overview and, and then talk about how to sort of talk with this spirit that is being summoned or appearing in our lives in a myriad of different ways and it can be completely baffling and confusing completely baffling and confusing right and some things work for some people and some things don't and then five years later the thing that worked for you doesn't work anymore and this other thing works makes it's you know if you try to track it like you can get a handle on it it's like trying to catch water you cannot do it because it's a living process and your body, as it accrues experience, changes. So you have neurogenesis and also maladaptive neurogenesis. So you're literally your brain and your neurology and your neurochemistry will change over time if you have chronic pain. So you, won't lit you literally won't be the same operating system as when you started. You're going to be a different person neurologically and you have to recognize that you have to recognize that this is not about this kind of perfect curative it doesn't really work like that for a lot of people for some people it does and again this is the thing if this if this doesn't uh, apply to you and you're listening to this podcast i'm very happy it doesn't apply to you i'm very very happy like it's super great but for some, a lot of people, it does apply, and this is why chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, all these mystery diseases that no one knows how to fucking deal with, that's what I'm dealing with, and that's what a lot of people are dealing with. So uh, I think it behooves us to kind of blow open the both the science and the animist understanding of this this whole arena, and then eventually get to the place where we could actually talk to pain as an entity rather than as a kind of process or object in our system, right? So we actually have to be able to communicate with a being rather than just thinking that, you know, oh, our car needs a replacement part or something. It's like, well, I don't know about that. But if you do need a replacement part, like you need to get your hip or knee replaced, that might be an option too. So I'm not taking anything off the table. Like Western science has interesting ideas about pain. Uh, Non-Western science, indigenous science has a lot of other ideas about pain, and I think you need both to have a real conversation. So let's talk about perception. I have a little card here with some notes. So if pain is a, is a reception, as in a, a nociception, if pain is a pain perception, it's a stimulus perception that's interpreted by the body. That means that we have to talk about perception. And if we're gonna talk about perception, let's talk about the three ways that neuroscience has decided to talk about perception. Interoception, exteroception, and neuroception. So interoception is what you're feeling inside your body sac and how you're feeling, you know, what you're feeling about that inside this skin shell. Exteroception is what Western science talks about when you're sensing things outside of your body shell. And neuroception is kind of like this newer term that's more like the state of your neurology in the moment. So kind of like the state that you're in. 
So interoception would be like, um, my left shoulder feels kind of gooey and thick and whatever. So like gooey and thick are sensations, you like, okay, great. But neuroception would be like the state of my shoulder or the state of my whole self as related to my shoulder is, is a certain way. And you can name that however the fuck you want to name that, you know, like, I feel good. I feel not good. Like, whatever. You just name it. You say, I feel energized. I feel de-energized. I feel like I'm almost over threshold. I feel like I'm in my capacity to, you know, deal with it. You know, that's a neuroceptive kind of idea. The interoceptive idea is linked to that. So we go interoceptive. Oh, I can like, you know, in Feldenkrais, you know, you're like, move your shoulder very slowly and don't go past your range of motion. Don't go into pain, but also can you reverse the motion at any time? Can you keep breathing and see what happens? So all of that's interoceptive kind of play. You're like, oh, right. I can sort of like look to the left and right while my shoulder is up, right? So these are all like interoceptive games and then you kind of can play with different joints and different sensations and you don't move too fast and you have to be able to track everything. Neuroception is more like I'm in fight or flight. You know, that's like neuroceptive. I'm in freeze. That's neuroceptive. Exteroceptive is like I see with my eyesight a green mossy rock over in front of me. That's exteroceptive, right? You're like out there, there are these things that I feel like I can sense or I hear a bird, I hear a bird singing. When you listen to music, it's exteroceptive becoming interoceptive. So this is the fun part. Now we get into like the more fun parts, right? You're you're, you're using exteroceptive stimuli to change or interpret how that's working for you interoceptively and neuroceptively. So you're like, when I listen to that music, I feel really good and there's a warm feeling in my belly, right? But it's like external to internal to neuro and there's like this loopy loop thing that happens. And of course we can break down any of these things into multiple component parts, images, sensations, multiple different kinds of sensations, meanings, multiple different kinds of meanings, and uh, affect, multiple different kinds of emotions. If you followed my work at all, you know that this is sort of the, the inside of like how you start to change your perception is you have to start to be able to categorize what your system is doing when it interprets stimuli. So this is very useful for pain because if you focus on the pain, you will amplify it with your attention and it might get worse. So think about kids. Very simple. We think about kids. They fall down, they scrape their knee, a shock goes through their system, they start crying, they put all their attention on the boo-boo, it amplifies. What does a smart mother know? Oh, what do you want for dinner, honey? Completely changes the topic. Oh, I want hot dogs. They don't feel the pain anymore. Because they went, they their attention completely went away from that set of stimuli to another set of stimuli. And it's a different story. 
completely different story. No more pain. We can still learn how to do that. So just so you know, that's still possible. It's, it's just our operating system, right? So I want to get into some practicals. And I'm going to look at the chat, but I'm going to get into some practicals because I think I've given I've given everyone enough context that we could start talking about actual specific things. Actual specific things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, so Facebook conversations are lots of stick snakes. Yes, absolutely. Facebook conversations are stick snakes. And that's also hypervigilance. When you're constantly afraid of snakes and everything looks like a snake, that's hypervigilance. Because once once upon a time, a snake hurt you. So now all things that could be snakes are snakes. That's 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 neuroceptive hypervigilance because of interoceptive threat perception. You know, it's like blah, 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 blah. You know, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, we'll get to hands-on techniques because this is all important. Hands-on, even hands-off. Reiki and other energy work, it totally works. There's feel, because it's biofields. So um, I'm going to talk about some things. I'm going to talk about Tao Yin, which is Taoist yoga. I'm going to talk about breathing and different ways to breathe. And I'm going to tie this into how it changes our experience of sensation. Because remember, pain is one of about 13 different sensations that we can feel. And if you want to do the research, just look up receptor sites in the body. This is what you should do. <laughs> look at receptor sites in the body. And actually, every single receptor site is literally a different sense. So when people say we have five senses, that's a gross misunderstanding of what's happening. What we have are five openings to the world that interpret sensations, which are five spirits. And they correlate to our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue, our skin, right? The five senses. What is it? Sight, smell, touch, taste, hearing, right? Those are the five spirits in Chinese medicine. And they're all related to an elemental force. And they all are related to organ systems in the body and meridians. But those spirits actually are in charge of multiple kinds of receptor sites in the body. So if you want to say that we have five senses, everyone understands what you mean. But if we're going to get into changing perception, we have to go to that there are about 13 different receptor sites in the body that actually experience things differently. So there's about five or six just for touch, which are like pressure. We'll go through we'll go through some of them. I'm not pretending to have done a lot of pre-memorization for this, but you can look it all up and the 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 work still holds true. You don't have to be able to explain it to be able to use it. It's not the point. Okay. So we'll get into it. Because I want to give it away before I die. So the first idea in Tao Yin is actually not what we get taught in somatics most of the time. 
uh, Western somatics. In Tao Yin and in Tibetan forms, so this is like a, lot, a broad swath of Eastern traditions, which include Indian, Tibetan, Mongolian, uh, Chinese, Taoist, Japanese, Korean, Southeast Asian, right? So there's this whole area of the world that has all these interesting traditions. And I'm just kind of doing a cross-section of general practices that um, we can all use because we have bodies and it's not about religion, right? But it could be if you want it to be. So in a Tao Yin setting, like let's say you were getting prepared to do meditation, you would do a yoga or a Tao Yin practice before you do meditation, right? So this is, this is a preparatory phase. And in the preparatory phase, you want to imagine that your inside is empty like a sky. So there's no sensation inside. <laughs> so that's the first thing that no one fucking tells anyone, that there should be no sensation inside. And you're just empty and completely like free inside. So you're not being, you're not focusing on interoception on that level right now. Not how do I feel? Not, no, 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 that. But you want to bring the blood and the chi to the surface of the body. So you would um, hit your body, grab your body, twist your body, scratch your body kick and punch and shake your body until all of the blood and sensation was on the surface of the body. So this is where you see people tapping, scratching, shaking, doing all that slapping qigong, doing all that ringing, doing twina massage, swinging their arms so the blood goes to their fingertips, getting the blood from the center to the periphery. And when you do that, we're going to do a little practice so, so anyone wants to try. I'm going to, hopefully it won't be so loud on my mic, but I want you to pick a part of your body. Like I'm going to pick this arm. So pick a part of your body where you can access the skin. And I want you to start playing around with all the different ways that you can touch or manipulate your skin on that part of the body. Notice I'm going to a periphery first. I'm not saying do it on your belly first because that's trauma city for a lot of people. But all of this applies to that. But I'm saying, you know, pick something that's kind of meaty and tough. So you start to go, you start to realize there's probably about a dozen different ways that you could touch yourself. So you can go very hard you can go very soft. You can drum or tap percussively. Right? That's one way to do it, either with a closed fist or with fingertips or with an object. You percussion, right? You do percussion on your body. And I, I want you to just play. Like, there's no right or wrong way to do this. You're just trying to figure out some shit about your sensation matrix. So there's drumming, you know, there's drumming, there's shaking. So there's shaking, just shake it. And then you can shake it with the other arm. So you can shake it actively or you could shake it passively. And someone else could shake it. That feels really good. 
right? So you can shake it. Now, just take a moment. We've done two things. We've only done like two things. Feel your arm. You should feel a lot more buzzing, tingling, lightness, chi in that arm just by doing that. We're not even halfway done, but you feel it already. Feel the other arm that did the work. Totally different. So at any time you can switch arms if you want to. I'm gonna keep doing one arm because I really wanna feel the extreme. But you can switch arms, you can use, you do a different part of your body, that's totally fine. So we did, we did uh, hard and soft. We can go very, very soft. We can go fast and we can go slow, right? So there's all these methods. We can shake it, we can drum it percussively, we can slap it. Slapping is a totally different feeling. Stinging, a stinging feeling. Very good stuff here. All the blood's gonna start coming to the surface. So slap it a few times and now feel how much chi is in your hand. Added benefit, now feel the hand that slapped. Feel the chi in the hand that slapped. More chi. Because while you slap one arm, this hand is slap, getting slapped by the arm. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a double slap, right? You can clap, clapping does this too. If you clap for a long time, your hands get really filled with blood. Blood carries chi. Very simple. But, you know, we have to get the simple to be common again. Um, so we have that. Then there's more things that we can do with sensation. We can pinch. We can pinch. We can... I don't know what the fuck this is called, but it's like a big pinch. It's like a bigger pinch. It's like where you grab a chunk of meat and you pull it. And there's a bit of like, ooh, yeah, there's kind of like a ringing sensation, right? You're like wringing the skin like a washcloth. You're squeezing it. And then, because you're squeezing the tissue, you get into compression. So now you have just what we consider to be Western massage, which is compression and pressure, which is a different feeling. So gripping, squeezing, compression, right? And then, of course, we have brushing. Very simple. You can do brushing with your hands. So we're going to try brushing, brushing soft and slow. Brushing soft and slow. Brushing soft and fast. Brushing harder and slow like a squeegee or something. So then there's some compression there. And then there's brushing hard and fast. Sweeping down, it's like sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. Now feel your arm. You've just, you've just um, stimulated about seven different receptors. Not just one receptor, not just touch, but seven, like seven different ones. Just as an added bonus, if you if you really like, I love this stuff. So um, I have all of these dry skin brushes. Dry skin brush. You're doing the same thing, but with an object. So you could. There's many different ways to do this work. 
So you can do it with just your, your body or you can start to use tools, right? So that's like a beginner Tao Yin practice. You would do that your whole body though. So it would take like 20, 30 minutes slapping every part of your body, brushing every part of your body while you do deep breathing while you change positions, because to get to every part of your body, you have to change positions. Like if you want to rub your feet, you got to get down on the ground. You got to like wrestle yourself, or you can just slap the floor with your feet and start to stomp. That's another one. If you were doing this standing up, you on the inhale, you raise your heels off the ground and you breathe in. Hopefully, I hope that you could hear that. You go, you breathe in really like big, like, like a real powerful breath in, and then on the exhale, huh, and you bang your heels on the ground. Huh, 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 and this sends a shock wave all the way up your system, starts to distribute blood and chi, or you can just shake your whole body from your feet, or you can stomp on the ground. That's a different thing. Stomping is different than all the, so all of these different methodologies would be some kind of Tao Yin practice, which could include postures, prayers, um, you know, sort of like, you know, cause, cause you can do any of this in a choreograph in a choreography, like you can slap your system in a particular way and then do a pose and then slap your system and do a pose and make a sound like ta 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 ha, you know? So you see all these Qigongs where you do a thing and then you like, maybe you do have to do a breath or a sound. All of that is just a, you know, it's clever combinations of Tao Yin to bring the blood and chi to different places in the body. So, Tao Yin, empty body, empty inside, all sensation to the outside. Third step would be something like, imagine that you're inside water. So put your mind outside your body around your body and imagine that there is kind of a thick liquidy syrup all around you and that thick liquidy syrup is moving of its own accord so if you've ever been in, in a tide pool or in the ocean water that's moving not a lake but water that's moving you know this feeling Something around you is moving and you are either resisting it or going with it. So, Tao Yin, before meditation, empty inside, all blood to the periphery so you can sense better and more. And then you would do some kind of practice like Tai Chi push hands or wrestling or dancing where your mind was outside your body and the air around you was filled with thick chi and it was moving you right so in that entire thing that entire sequence is a whole practice we are not talking about how you feel there's none of this oh how does your tailbone feel interoceptively none of that shit because something about the old ways, they understood that that's a rabbit hole that didn't really produce a lot of results for the average person. I think we have to re-modify a lot of this for our modern 
idea of health and wellness, but the basic is still the basic. You don't actually have to talk endlessly about how your knee pain feels in order to solve it. You just have to put your attention somewhere else and move from that attention that's somewhere else. So that's one whole that's one whole practice or hack, you know, whatever you want to call it to sort of get out of the pain and into the body's movement in the environment, which is more like an animal. Because let's think about it. Our clothing actually prohibits us from being truly alive on some level. Like we put clothing on and then our skin and hairs on our skin do not sense the external environment very well and then there's a lot of problems. Other beings, they grow hair or they're basically naked and they're constantly in the world. And the world has air currents, it has other beings, it has temperature changes, liquid, solids, it's moving around. So you can see how humans have to have practices in order to become more like animals again and less like kind of like talking heads that are constantly narcissistically wrapped up in their own internal sensations, right? This is the problem. I feel bad all the time. Yeah, because all you're doing is paying attention to how bad you feel. Hello, Western Counseling Universe. Why is no one ever getting better? Because it's a capitalist racket. It's selling compassion, but not selling uh, results. Right, that's the Western talkie mindset model. Sit on a couch and just tell me all your issues. Oh yeah, oh you still have the same issues week to week. Huh, interesting. Yeah, that's an oversimplification, but this is really real, this is legitimate. And then, of course, if you're not teaching people to move or to change their perception in a physical way, of course, Ritalin or some kind of Ambien or antidepressant or whatever is a great idea because then you change the neurochemistry and the neurochemistry changes the nociception. And so you're like, oh, I don't have pain anymore. It's like, yeah, you know, you do. You just start paying attention differently because you have different cocktail in your system. But you can get that function just by doing things like an animal does right uh, i'll talk about that in a second so this we you have to go from basic to advanced to, you know <laughs> just for real it's like really real you got to go from basic to advanced otherwise you miss out on simple and it has to be simple, otherwise it becomes a kind of a privileged uh, practice. Yeah, I don't want it to be a privileged practice. Um, okay, so let's move on from simple. So that's simple, is exteroception moving you. So moving your ability to move your chi to be able to sense the external world in a very refined way, and then your exteroception sight, sound, hearing, touch, etc., balance, everything, all that is actually more attuned to be in flow with the outside environment so that you can not be so focused on minor pains in the system that keep saying, I want you to pay attention to me. And to be very clear, a lot of those pains are ghostly. 
So the ghost inside is being like, you have to pay attention to me. You have to pay attention to me. You have to pay attention to me. And then people just contract. They contract both physically and emotionally and intentionally, like attentionally, around the pain. It's no good. It just amplifies the pain signal, so your whole world is this pain signal now. And this pain is not just physical. That's the other thing. We can interpret pain physically, cognitively, emotionally. So you can have a million different narratives about why you have the pain, but if you're still focused on the pain and amplifying it, who cares? It's just get it's just tricking you a different way. So everyone's got their own like tricks that they succumb to when the pain flares up. And what I'm really saying is don't succumb. Don't do it. Yeah, Antje, this tech the reason why I started with pain first is because it's applicable to the other things. <laughs> If I talk about pain, then when we talk about fear, doubt, and hunger, you will have a much better understanding. So the pain is the one that I think is, is the most useful, broad understanding. Because sensation, body, sensation, body, sensation, body. It is the basis. So let's get deeper into these kind of Eastern practices a little bit. And of course, I'm not doing them complete justice, but I am trying to give a cross-sectional introduction so that when you go and do anything, you're actually able to think of it this way. What am I doing when I am visualize this Buddha in my heart? What's actually happening? We really want to understand that. Not just do it, but understand the mechanism by which it is affecting your perceptions, your interior, your exterior, and your neuroceptions. Okay. So then let's say we brought all the chi outside. And then remember, I said that Tao Yin is preparation. Preparation for what? Lots of things. But let's say that it's preparation for meditation. Now, when we sit in meditation and our sensations are outward first, we can now also go inward into interoception. Now, this is where it gets wild because you could interocept and have start dreaming and you can start feeling things in the dream. You could create constructs and do so-called lucid dreaming or visualizations and feel the feelings from those visualizations. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's what you can do. But I want to focus on this idea of the central channel or the lower Dantian or the Hara which is a, a space inside the center of the body. Now, what I want you to imagine just now is a very big um, drop of water. So like a cartoon drop of water. You know, the cartoon drop of water, there's like a point at the top. There's like a narrow spine and it empties into like a more of a bulbous bottom. That's a cartoon drop of water, right? So I want you to imagine that that cartoon drop of water is just what your central channel looks like inside. It goes from the top of your head all the way to the bottom of your belly, and it's basically like this teardrop form. And 
the thin part of it is your spine and the big part at the bottom is your lower belly dantian center okay so just this teardrop like idea this image to understand it when you're doing meditations and visualizations and various breathing techniques and maybe even bandhas pulsing your anus and your perineum swallowing making sounds you are affecting how you interocept your central channel and when you start to do that you release various chemicals in your system that might feel terrifying so if you don't do the Tao Yin first and understand that you can bring attention away from things you don't like then when you experience these things internally you will feel trapped or you will feel like they're coming to save you or you will get lost in your dream and you can do this in a very different ways so when an ancestor comes and visits you in your dream if you don't have these basic tools you are kind of at the whim of your conditions your traumas your cultural conditioning your personal conditioning your need to be saved from things that you don't like to feel right so this is a big issue and i'm really just this is the free this is the thing it's like here's here's here like let's do this little cut cut scene donations happily received okay donations happily received for these teachings that have taken me so long to gather and i want to give them back so that everyone can live well but really real here this is you ain't going to hear about this in a lot of places it's taken me a very long time to be able to talk about this stuff in a way that actually works and doesn't send people into crazy town right so if you don't know how to change your sensations without external or spiritual help then when you have spiritual phenomenon you are actually coming to the party naked and sick so you can't do much and you need everyone else to help you why did you come to the party naked and sick don't come to the party naked and sick why would you do that if you were not naked and sick and you were at a party and somebody came to a party naked and sick you would feel a certain way you'd be like this is this is inappropriate this is inappropriate right so i want you to be able to figure out what appropriate is which is to say don't go to the grocery store hungry just don't do it if you don't go to the grocery store hungry you solve 90 percent of the problems at the grocery store right so don't go to a spiritual teacher don't go to a spiritual teaching don't go to a ritual without knowing how to change your perception or your state so without changing any of these intero extero neuroceptive if you can't do that yet you need to work on that a lot so that you know it's possible even if it's difficult sometimes because it will be difficult in different situations in different contexts you will need different tools However, if you don't think it's possible, you ain't going to do any of it, ever. 
You're just going to keep asking for help. And then when someone gives you help, it goes right out the back door. It's like, it's like, uh, here, I need fruit. Here's my basket. You have no bottom in your basket. And someone gives you food, falls down into the ground. It's nice that they gave it to you, and it's nice that you received it, but you couldn't hold it. And if you can't hold it and be able to look at it, not have compulsion around it, be able to go, huh, do I really want to do this today? Or what, what is really happening when I accept this gift? If you can't do any of that sensory changing, you, I basically have just described our modern life. This is it. This is everything. This is, this is selling products to neurotics. This is everything. You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sell products to neurotics. I want to help people have the tools to actually be able to discern how their system is receiving stimulus and generating stimulus. Because you're like a signal tower. You can receive signal and you can transmit signal. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's a lot coming in the chat. I understand. I'm going to get to it, but it's fucking rough because this is really real. This is not just imagination games. This is this is real life. <laughs> it's real fucking life. Okay? So, I'm going to get into it now. I'm going to get into more deeper. We're going deeper now. So, let's say that you did your Tao Yin. You're able to change your state. Like, even if it's just like, I need to take a hot bath. That's what I do all the time. I'm like, I feel like shit. Oh, I'd take a hot bath. I don't feel so bad anymore. Fucking imagine that. Because I stimulated all the receptors on my skin, and temperature does that too, and suddenly I pray to the water, and I feel better. This is very simple. Right? And you can add on to it, but it's pretty, it's pretty simple. Change your state, you change your life. Right? So... Let's say you did your Tao Yin, you put your, ex, you put your uh, attention on the external world, you actually interacted with the external world, you were able to balance on one foot, you were able to take a walk, you are able to breathe in the air. Oh my God, the world is the world. The world is the world. And then you sat down for your meditation into this teardrop kind of formation, and you start to do various practices. Maybe you do a no practice, like Zowong. Maybe you do a death practice. Maybe you do a visualization practice. Maybe you do a breathing practice. I don't care. There's a million practices. And you start to change more of your interoception when you do those practices. And then when they get too much, you do exteroception again. You go, oh, that's enough. And you go back. So you're switching between intero and extero all the time so that you can manage your thresholds so that you don't fuck your shit up. Right? At a certain point, in this process, you actually might understand that you could shift something. You could shift something relationally, and I want to say relationally, spatially with a hyphen. Spatial relational. Spatial relational. Right? If I boil it down to one pithy statement, it's this. Expanding from centers. That's it. Whether you want to think that you only have one center and you're expanding from it, 
or whether each individual part of you has multiple centers and you expand from those, the same thing applies. When we start to find pockets of energy, sensation, beings, ancestors, relationships in our interoceptive matrix, if we learn to go into them and expand from their centers, weird shit starts to happen. That's all it is. And you can do it infinitely forever. So every time you go into a center and expand, you realize there's a new center. And you really weren't in the center before, but it felt like the center. And then you go into the center and you do it again. And you just keep going back to center and expanding. And eventually you start becoming in alignment. All your centers start to become in alignment because you're no longer trying to break them. You're no longer trying to cure them, eradicate them, fix them, whatever. You're actually just trying to experience them from their true nature, which is the center of them. So you're basically saying, I'm invulnerable. My spirit is invincible, can never die, and that has never been born. My personality certainly is terrified of this statement and is certainly terrified of dying. This is why you get all these weird phenomenon because you have a personality that is temporary, but you have a spirit that is not temporary. So as you, as you entertain the notion of entering a center and expanding, all sorts of fucking feelings will come up. Images, memories, uh, sensations, blah, 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 blah. Visions, blah, 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 blah. Right? So, you know, this is basically it. This is basically, like, this is it. <laughs> Everything else is some subset or some some variation on a theme so that you can produce a different effect and that's great because there's all sorts of effects you might want to produce because who knows what's available who knows what's possible you know i don't know what's possible there's tons of stuff possible so then you have things like energy healing and kundalini transmissions and all sorts of shit that are possible when your central channel becomes open and robust and you're no longer afraid of being trapped in a sensation and suddenly pain is just another being that you say hello to and you're like what's up but for but for some people some of the time the pain will flare up extremely over your threshold and in those moments you have to know when to do which part of any of these practices. You have to know whether to change the attention. What do you want for dinner, honey? Do you smell popcorn? You have to know when to not do it. Because sometimes it's going into the center and trying to expand it. If you do it at the wrong time, it'll amplify the problem. And you're like, oops, fucked up wasn't the time to try to be intimate it was not the time to try to be intimate with whatever spirit is inside me right now it was the time to take a bath eat some food take a walk sing a song do something other than focus on the problem 
But then there are times where it's like, I'm avoiding being intimate with whatever is here. And now I can try to actually expand from center and see what happens or expand into center or from center. You know, these language words, they don't, it's hard to describe because sometimes you have to travel with your attention before you find the real center. And then when you find it, some weird shit happens and you're like taken on a journey. And then you have, you know, like who knows what fucking happens. You know, it's a lot of shit happens. So don't worry about it is what I'm saying, but also figure out how to navigate. Just figure out how to navigate. First, first physiologically, relationally, spiritually, and then psychically relational spiritually, which includes emotions, dreams, visions, projections, hallucinations, whatever you want to call it. But there's the tangible and then there's the intangible. And we can navigate both with almost the exact same tools, but the experience is different. But the experience from one helps the other. So the more you navigate physically, spatially, with changing your sensation, changing temperature, changing orientation, balancing differently, the more that when you're in a psychic or visionary state, you can transfer all that stuff. And the more that you figure out how to navigate psycho-spiritual states, the more you can navigate physical states. Because there's this liminal space in the middle that is like a woven tapestry where there is a seamless integration of a spectrum of experience, right? That's all it is. I'm just trying to demystify all of it so that you can go have fun. It's like, it's like, oh, if you want to climb this mountain, you need to wear these kind of shoes. You need to be able to like, you know, fidget with the harnesses. You need to be able to like work with your equipment. And the basic equipment is you. The basic equipment is you. So the last thing I, I'm going to start to answer some questions, but the last thing I want to leave everyone with is after this conversation, what the fuck do you think healing is? If healing, if, if, if we're not curing anything, we're not solving, we're not fixing anything, but we still use words like remission, symptoms, syndromes, we're still going to use words like that. But if the fundamental nature of reality is going from this relational, spiritual, physical thing to a relational, spiritual, psychic thing in which you expand from centers, what the fuck is healing? I mean, I don't know the answer, but I consider at this moment in my life, after going through everything I've gone through, telling you my whole crazy story, which it was only really a smidgen of that fucking story, right? I'm not going to bore you with the horrible details of my life. But what I have come to consider is that healing is a combination of distribution and optionality. That's it. Having more options at any given time and being able to distribute force amongst various parts of a system. That's it. But you have to experience that because what I just said was kind of conceptual. But you have to experience that process non-conceptually. Like an easy way to do it is just, um, an easy way to do it is, uh, let's do a little game. 
So notice how you're sitting right now. Notice your posture, your breath. Notice where your attention is. Notice where your eyes are going. Notice the rhythm of your body moving. Notice how your skin feels all around you. Take a snapshot of that. Now, just imagine like you're playing a character or in a theater, or if maybe it really happened or it's a dream, but just imagine that you don't have any food in your fridge. What happens with your breathing, your posture, your skin, your rhythm? You don't have any food in your fridge. Taste that for a second. Taste that somatic state of my body reacting to the imagination that I don't have any food in my fridge. It probably doesn't feel that great. Now, imagine that you just have your normal amount of food in your fridge. Whatever is normal for you. Not too, not nothing and not everything, but just a little bit like a normal amount. Notice again, your skin, your posture, your, your breathing, maybe the taste inside your mouth. Okay. Now imagine we're going to go over the top. Now imagine that your fridge is full and not only is it full, it's full of all the foods you always love and need. And they're exactly the right foods that nourish you. And it's abundant. And not only is your fridge abundant, but you just won some money with no strings attached. Check out how your system feels. Notice your face. Notice your eyes. Notice your throat. Notice your breathing. Notice your lower belly. Notice your legs. Notice your rhythm. Notice the chi around you. You just won money with no strings attached. Now compare that with your fridge is empty and you didn't win any money for no reason. I mean, to me, this says everything. And I know that the world has a lot more danger in it than anything that we're playing with right now. The, the actual world is quite dangerous and there is a natural violence in the world as well as a manufactured violence by other people. But you had to deal with that anyway. <laughs> You've been dealing with that anyway the whole time. So when you walk out your door later, if you take anything with you from this conversation, it might melt you. It might melt your mind a little bit. It might piss you off. It might confuse you. Right? Like, like your mileage might vary on all of this. And I'm not saying I'm a perfect practitioner. I'm just saying I collect these practices and try to keep doing them as effortlessly as possible. And especially when I start to forget because whatever acute symptoms I'm experiencing from my raggedy body, 
and from my raggedy past are just part of it. Just part of it. It's just happening, right? Um, so there we go. So let's answer some questions in the chat, and then we'll get to some questions on the, the type form, but we'll do the chat first. Also, let's take a five-minute break. Drink some water, go to the bathroom. See you in five. Okay, I know it's not five minutes, but we're going to softly kind of enter back into this part of the the podcasty thing. So I think I'll probably say a few things before I start answering questions, just so people have a chance to input questions. 
And of course, you can input a question, and if you have to leave, then I answer it, and you listen to it later, something like that. It's no big deal. Um, what do I want to say here? I want to say a few things about uh, just uh, some logistics, some future casting stuff. So the next two weeks podcast, the time's going to change because I got accepted into a a two-week program that's really interesting that I'll talk about later, but I'm not going to talk about it now. Um, so the time will change. I don't know when that is yet, but I will. It, all the information will be on the website, uh, bodyalter.org slash underworldparty. And that's when the lives, so the lives will be different for the next two weeks. And then after that, I think uh, maybe different even then. So I'm changing some times. I might do some Saturdays. I might do some evenings. I don't know. Um, so that's going to change. Um, yeah, just generally, you know, my system is still very tired. Um, I have no idea when I'm going to do private sessions again. Um, that's just the real, real, uh, I am developing a lot of other ways to engage, but those are not going to be ready shortly. Um, that's just where I'm at, and I think that's where the chi of the year is at. And so, uh, yeah, like I'm trying to practice patience, and I also, I also need the time and space to sort of feel what my practice is becoming. And that's just not just my professional practice, but my actual practice, like my Tao Yin, my meditation, my ritual. All of that uh, needs to change for me, and so. Before it changes, I kind of have to just let everything completely fizzle out. So that's what's happening. So there was a question earlier that I'm going to read. Um, This is a pretty advanced question, so just prefacing that. Do you think it's useful to receive information about previous lives, traumas that could be held in the system still for example, dying from stab wounds to certain body parts to process that energy or just staying in sensation enough? Oh, yeah, it's a deep question. So one is that whether it's your past lives or your ancestors' lives or the collective's experience, communication is going to happen. So I'm not saying no communication, and that's kind of impossible. But I am saying you relate to how you deal with that communication. So, you know, if you felt something bad happening and it hurts you inside, if you deal with the present moment sensations, that's one thing. But if you also can go into like a dream state that's like highly dramatic and very intense emotionally, that's a different thing. So it really depends on like how your system is compulsed to deal with that. So this is the big thing. You have to be able to track your own compulsions and repulsions, which are both compulsions, right? A repulsion is a compulsion. It's just a compulsion away. So we have compulsions towards certain things and away from other things. And we also just have habits and tendencies that are cultural um, and also ancestral. And they're not necessarily going to be the right thing for every single occasion. So whenever something happens, we need to develop an ability to sort of almost like pause the movie and open up the settings. 
right? It's like, oh, this is happening. Pause the movie. Click the little gear that opens up the settings. Oh, okay. I can dim the brightness. I can mute the sound. I can reverse the screen. I can rewind the film. I can, like thousands and thousands of various options. I can take a walk. I can take a bath. I can pray to the trees. I can, I can, like the millions of options that we have. And then there's a bunch of options that are like still locked or like a video game or something. It's like, you have access to these 42 options, but options number 43 through 3000 are still locked. You're like, why are they locked? This is the, this to me is the real question. It's not necessarily what's happening. It's how do I relate to what's happening? Do I stay in sensation or do I switch to another channel? Um, do I, do I keep the sensation close to me or do I put it far away from me? Do I ask the sensation questions or do I just think that the sensation can't answer me in human language? These are all like pre-figurative preconditions that you're coming installed with. And in a moment of heightened stimulus, you're going to default to your habits. So what I'm saying is that this is largely a practice of knowing how to not default to your habits and actually being like, what's the most creative way to engage right now? What's the most pleasurable way? What's the least effortful way? You just have to ask these other kinds of questions. So I have experienced through ritual on purpose. So this is conscious on purpose. There's also unconscious accidental and conscious accidental in which I experienced um, being raped, but it was not me being raped, it was my ancestors. And it was specifically male-on-male -male rape. And I felt it in my body. I literally had the somatic sensations of that experience. I'm not suggesting you should do that. I'm saying it's possible that your system has the option to do that. Your system has a setting that can do that. And on some level, some of those settings might be toggled on without you knowing it. For a lot of people, they're toggled off because that's cuckoo, bananas. They're toggled off and others are toggled on and blah, blah, blah is happening. But to be able to get to the point where you can not only toggle things on and off, but actually control the degree to which they're toggled on and off. I want this to be 2% on. I want this to be 50% on. This is the this is the, the the a metaphor of like how you could live your life. And of course, you completely be surprised by what happens because there's no perfect. You just keep experiencing things and you just have to figure out how to play with the experiences. Right? And remember, I'm not trying to teach you how to cure things or salvational techniques. Maybe in the past I would have said, "Yes, we want to heal our ancestors because then we're healed." That's a salvational concept. I'm not doing that. And so I'm trying to rid myself of all of that nonsense, which is maybe some of my ancestors are assholes and they're not going to change. Okay, but I can still have a good life. But who's, gonna, who's, who's telling you this in the ancestral healing world?
How many people are telling you this? I, I, I dare you. I dare you, which is my name. I dare you to find those people because you don't hear that shit. I, I track. I get emails. I get the fucking things. I get the blurbs. It's caca out there. It's all salvational, codependent nonsense. You won't be okay until dot dot dot. You won't be okay until dot dot dot. On some level, that is kind of true. On some gross level of reality, if you keep eating something bad for you, you probably won't be okay until you stop eating it. I don't know. But that's for you to find out. And also, it's not oh, it's not 100%. There are some people that live to 120, they smoke cigarettes every day. No one fucking knows why. Are cigarettes bad for them? Obviously not. We don't fucking know. So we have to get to this I don't know place. Where we're like, is this going to save me? I don't know. Why do you want to be saved? Oh, uh... Because I want to feel better. Can you feel better without being saved? Uh... I mean, you have to ask yourself these questions. And you have to really be honest about the. You have to be super honest. And it's hard. It's super hard because we want to just be cut... You know, like, as a human mammal, we want what we want when we want it. And oftentimes we don't even know why we want it. We just want it right now. Hold me. No, now get away from me. I want a hug. No, I don't want a hug. It's completely arbitrary, fickle, contextual, situational. No one fucking knows. That's why it's hard to, like, do anything capitalist because you have to make promises that don't make any sense. Can you meet me next Friday? I don't fucking know. I mean, I can say I'll meet you next Friday, but Friday morning I fucking feel sick. I don't fucking know. You know, like, that's the that's the real world. The real world is, I don't know. And then we put all this, well, let's best 7 out of 10, you know, best 4 out of 5, uh, you know, whatever kind of thing, you know. And it doesn't mean it's, it's, it doesn't mean it's an excuse to wallow in your misery at all. It's just, I don't know, it's just the way it is. Or at least it's the way that I have traveled this world to have been gifted in a certain way, and you're going to find people who tell you the exact opposite. And I'm like, great. That's wonderful that there's multiple ways to travel this universe. I'm just trying to travel the universe in a very particular way, and every time I get somewhere, every time I do something, or so-called healing happens, I have to look at it and go, huh, could it be better next time? Can I, and then the, then certain spirits and ancestors help me with that. They go, yeah, you don't have to you don't have to do that to heal, but you did, but you don't have to. And then I go, oh, so healing happens a variety of ways, and then I just get to have more and more choice. And they're like, yes. It's like, oh, okay. Less and less codependency, more and more interdependency, and uh, conscious choice. But also sometimes, no, no conscious choice. Like, the volcano just explodes. Okay. You know, whatever. Next questions. 
Um, that was a direct message, Jen. So if you don't want me to talk, I'm not going to talk about it in, unless you tell me it's, it's, it's okay. So I won't do that. Um, then do, 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 do. can the expansion feel like a death the way a seed expanding dies? Absolutely. That's why it's so terrifying. So the expanding from centers or expand, you know, so the, so that third thing that I talked about expanding from centers. Yeah. That's like death practice because you do that and you're just like blown away by, you're just like blown apart sometimes, but then you coalesce again. So this kind of expansion contraction thing, I like to think of it like water, water condenses and then it evaporates and then it condenses and it evaporates. That's kind of the process that's happening. Yes, jazz, like reparations, distribution, and creating more options. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. That's the, that's the real deal. Um, yeah, some people leaving that I saw, and then other things. Oh, okay, okay, great. So there's this question, Jen said yes. So, so uh, somebody here has a, a friend with trigema, trigeminal neuralgia, which I don't know, but it sounds really bad. Uh, the level of pain of which I can't fathom even with my own chronic pain. I'm wondering both how this conversation connects and how to share any of it with them. Okay. Yeah, it's real. So I want to say 100%. If a person is in deep agony, cognitive wisdom teachings are not helpful. But if they're not in deep agony and they're just like able to live and move and read a book or whatever, then wisdom teachings are an opportunity for them to receive some kind of benefit, possibly, but it's not a demand. It's not a demand. It's not like, oh, if you just learn the secret technique, now you'll be cured. That's not what it's bullshit. It's complete trash because we live in a multi-causal interdependent mycelial rhizomatic network and there are other forces at play far beyond what we want so our hunger our desire is just one small yet very powerful uh influencer of that system so just because you want it doesn't mean you'll get it but wanting it is a precursor to getting it on some level. So, you know, it's a bit like, ooh, you know, it's kind of hard to you know, deal with that. And it's also true that like, you know, people don't ask for cancer. It's not like karma or some Western version of karma. It's just the system itself in its multi-causal layers created something in a system that we would consider to be cancer based on a number of factors, most of which are completely mysterious. But nobody asked for it and it's not because they were a good or a bad person. It has nothing to do with that. It's just, oh yeah, you know, your gallbladder doesn't function as well as it could and so that causes this chain reaction and then, you know, like all the stuff I talked about, how I got sick with that pneumonia, no fucking, it's completely random, and it's also completely in my fate. And this is the hard part to swallow, is that when I was a child, 
I had a dream that was not a dream in which I traveled to the future. And it was like a gray movie. And, it, and I was like eight years old. And as I traveled to the future in this dream, I looked at a newspaper to figure out what time it was or what day it was. And when I woke up from the dream, I did the math. I was like, okay, there's a date of a year. How old would I be when that was there? And I did the math and I realized I would be 33 years old. And I was like, well, that was crummy dream because in my dream, everything was dead. And so I spent a large part of my life trying to escape this death because I was like, I don't think there's a future after I'm 33 because I had this dream and the dream wasn't a dream. It felt real. So I went on all these travels and I started getting sick on tw at 28. And I also joined a psychic school to try to heal myself. I didn't say that part, but I was also going to doctors. I went to a psychic school for four years and learned all this crazy shit to try to cure myself. It didn't totally work, but some things happened in that place. And then I sort of let go of it. I actually got to a point when I was like 31 where I was like, I don't even care if I'm not going to live past 33. And I kind of forgot about it. And I just lived my life. This was happening on top of the other story that I told earlier. But then guess what fucking happened? When I was 32, I contracted fungal pneumonia and almost died. There's no, there's no wiggling around this. There's no reinterpreting this. There's just the reality of the facts. I had a dream when I was a kid. It wasn't a dream. My system knew something about its own mortality and when that was going to happen. I did as best I could to nudge and shift that fate. And because I tried as best I could, I came very close, but close enough to understand something. And of course, I also drowned when I was three years old. So who fucking knows what the fuck is going on? But that's the way it happened. I got very close. I could prevent it entirely. But I didn't actually die when I was 33. I just got the pneumonia that might have killed me. There's, there's really not much to say other than sitting with the reality, the feeling of it all, and to recognize that all these things are actually possible and happening right now, whether you believe it or not. So belief is not really a necessary requisite to engage with the world because you're already engaging with the world right now. So all the clues for your own destiny and your own fate are in your life, but you have to figure out how to read them and some of them are not the greatest thing. Some of them are like, yeah, you die, die from this disease at 55 or something. Oops, 
Like it's not, it's not even personal. But what we do with our lives while we're here, that's personal. And that's, that's where the options come in. Live your life as best you can until it is no longer val valid. And then you die. And then you transition. So this is the practice for me. It's like, how do I live in a way that would, when I actually finally die, which is not all the make-believe times I died before, but when I actually die, I actually go, all right, time to go to the next chapter. Let's transition. And live in such a way that looking back, I don't have just a shit ton of regrets and sadness and like frigid, frozen, uh, you know, feelings about my life. I actually could radiate generosity from that place and just go, well, you know. And I could just look at all my unhealed ancestors and go, cool, you know, like, let's talk again later. You know, rather than I didn't heal all my ancestors and that's why I'm dying right now. And I hate it. I hate all my ancestors because and, and you fucking go down this rabbit hole. Right. Because that's just a trash death. That's a terrible death. You're dying. You're looking at your ancestors. You hate them because you're dying. And it's like, whoa, this it's like not a, it's not a good scene. Like it's just instant ghost city you know like now you become one of them who haunts the living and it's like oh my god so let's not do that people so when people have diseases this is the real thing so let me get back to the question a little because i have to flesh it out because it's not just me pithily answering questions you know it's not about curing people when they're dying it's about giving them comfort while they're dying. Like hold their hand, sing them a song, love them while they're dying and see if they can receive it. At a certain point in that process, they will receive it because it's available. Because if given that option at the end, you fucking take that option. People actually love you. You're surrounded by people that love you. They're holding your hand. They're singing you in the time right after dying and sickness they're actually still in the room singing to your spirit that's the that's the good stuff so when we have people who are dying who are sick we don't know when they're going to die maybe it's terminal but it's kind of unknown or it's like who fucking knows or even if they just have a disease that is really fucking with their quality of life the real answer is always be kind and generous that's it just be kind and generous, like treat people nice. Don't try to fix them, solve them. Don't try to engage in their ideas of fixing and solving either, but it's just like comfort, you know, like a dog or a cat. When you're sick, they're not trying to fix you. They just come sit near you and they maybe nestle, nestle into your belly or something. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. But can we be like that for others? And can we be like that for ourselves? Because some of us are going to die technically alone, as in nobody is around us human to hold our hand. But if we can cultivate these skills and these practices, when we do die, even if it's like sudden and, and technically alone, as in non-humans are around us, we won't feel alone because we'll be able to reach out and feel something the natural world, the ocean, the sky, our own blood, our ancestors, and we will actually be able to sing ourselves home. So it's, it's, it's a both and. There's a lot of options here. 
it's not just you have to do it, everyone has to have someone do it for them or do it with them, although, the, although that would be really nice if we had a society that was like that. Um, but, but it's not a guarantee. So there's plenty of stories in all of these old traditions of people dying in the wilderness and becoming and haunting the wilderness. And when you, and when you walk through the wilderness, you get temporarily possessed or hijacked by some of those spirits who died in the wilderness. So a really good way to figure this out is when you go backpacking or off country or in a weird place that feels weird, just tell all the spirits there that they are dead, they are loved, and they can go home. Just practice it. See what happens. Just be like all the spirits here that don't know they're dead. You're probably dead and this is the way home. Even if you just do it for two minutes, it starts to tell you something about your life. You go, oh, right? So everyone can do this. It's not, you don't have to be special, talented or something. But unfortunately, we just live in a culture that doesn't, that doesn't teach us this. And it doesn't tell us that this is the way to live. And that there are people that become ghosts. They just do. People become ghosts. And it's not necessarily because they meant to, or it's just they got a bad draw this time around. They got a bad draw. You know, like, you got dealt a shit hand, and you're real angry, and you die suddenly, and now you're a ghost. So when you walk through, like, I used to go, I used to, you know, walk through the Tenderloin, right, in San Francisco. There's a lot of ghosts in the Tenderloin. They're both living ghosts and dead ghosts. But you just go... I see you, your home is over there, but I understand if you want to stick around. But also, don't come home with me, because I can't deal with that. So don't become like a freaking, you know, what's that, Florence Nightingale. Don't become Florence Nightingale for all the ghosts, because they will fucking visit you in the middle of the night, and you will not have good sleep. But you can start to, you know, be able to be like, oh... Yeah, I mean, business hours are on Sundays. I'll hold a ritual for you then. And the ritual is something simple like lighting a candle. May all who are lost return home. But you have to feel it. Like, I can say this now because I just practice it all the time. But when you're in it, you're fucking in it. You feel that shit. May all who are lost return home. Ugh. Expand from center. So... That was a long way to answer your question, Jen, but I hope it was helpful. Yeah. Yeah, extreme experiences. Okay, so we're technically at time, but I'm going to allow some runover. So if you have any more questions, you can put them in the chat. I'm going to look at my type form, which I unfortunately did not open up earlier, which means that it annoys me. Oh, yes, more questions. Thank you. Okay, so there's a few more questions in the typey type. Um, I do not know who Louise Hay is. So I can't tell you. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not the only one saying stuff like this. And there's all, again, I just keep saying, like, don't believe me. Practice, prove it for yourself. And some things will work better for other people than some, some things will work better for some people than others. And there are lots of people in the world teaching teachings and all sorts of stuff happening. And so if I'm not your flavor of ice cream, go eat a different flavor of ice cream. You know, like, I don't need, I don't need to be a big shot in order to do live my life there's plenty of people and you know you know who they are because they try to fuck with me or you know i've called them out or whatever you want to call it whatever whatever bullshit we want to call but like go do whatever for all those other people that whose names i won't name right now i mean that's a future episode where it's just like let's go down the list of people who are trying to become guru priests and rich and famous and yeah and then also tell everyone else that they don't know what they're talking about it's a rough scene out there kids it's a real rough scene we have to figure it out for ourselves and also with the help of the land and our bodies so here's a question that's kind of a question did i autonomy sovereignty especially when others struggle with their sense of it. Oh, I mean, that's just the practice. I would say you have to connect with your lower belly center and you have to see who they are. Who is your lower belly center? Have you leaked your energy? Have you not called your spirit back to your body in 25 years? Is there trust issues with your spirit in yourself? You have more than one spirit. So it's not just a duality or a binary. So if you're, if you're having autonomy and sovereignty issues in the presence of someone else who can't deal with it, that's a codependent reaction. Your autonomy and sovereignty shouldn't, have a, shouldn't be um, dependent on other people's belief or practice. But... We all know that humans like or get into codependent relationships all the time. And that's, that's where a lot of the trouble comes from. Um, the other thing is, is, and I, I struggled with this for a very long time. And I'm continually doing this as a business. So it's, you have to find the containers that work for you, not for them. This is the opposite of what everyone says. Meet the person where they're at. Yeah, sure. Okay. No. I'm going to say it right now. No. But with caveats. You can meet the person where they're at when you're where you need to be. And when you're accepting that input and it doesn't break your ritual container of your body or your sovereignty. But I'm saying don't unplug from source, from earth, from death to try and help someone else or to try and convince someone or explain something to someone from a place of their, where they are. I'm not saying where they are is bad or worse than where you're at. I'm not saying any of that. I don't know the situation. But what I can say is 
I'm here plugged in. I'm receiving communication from all of you. I'm practicing. Whether or not you believe me has nothing to do with my practice. And then you could say, but aren't you just bypassing? Like, no, I'm not bypassing. I'm taking in all the data and I'm making choices. I'm trying actively to not harm anyone, to do harm reduction all the time. But some people, we talked about pain and threat response today. Some people are going to interpret something I say as harming them. Does that mean I harmed them? No, it does not. No, it does not. Might it mean that I could have harmed them unintentionally? Maybe. I got. We got to look at that. Maybe it's maybe it's true. But I gave this whole talk on pain today because it's absolutely about everything we're dealing with: cancel culture, triggers, microaggressions, harm. I'm not making any blanket statements. I'm just saying. There is a threat response system in our in our body that is conditioned and we don't know all of the ways it's conditioned and also people lie about how it's conditioned. And we have to be able to be able to parse what's happening and make real choices in the moment. So one of the hardest things, but also one of the most beneficial things I would I would I would say for everyone is there's two things. One is if you go through your own death process, like I told you about all my diseases and stuff, if you go through that and you come out the other side, you got to do that. The second thing is, and this will happen somewhere along the line of you coming out of your sort of post-tragic, post-traumatic growth, you will encounter or be magnetized to someone who says that they want to be in relationship with you or says that they want your help and they will completely at every turn not be able to receive your help. They might even blame you for not helping them. This is a really big lesson to not disconnect, but to go, oh, right, this is also part of reality. It's a shitty part of reality, but it's like, you can't exercise every ghost or demon. You can't do it. It's not possible. And in fact, you're not even doing it. Like, if if some of my words that are coming through from all of the beings that I'm in relationship with help a person, wonderful. But they're going to inflame a certain number of people too. And they're also going to land neutrally on a bunch of people who are like, you're full of shit. If I try to spend all my time trying to help the people in category two and three, Ooh, man, my life is going to be rough. And the issue is also is that some clients come like this. They actually can't receive the help and it starts to get a bit sticky. So, you know, this is just a real thing. You got to know when to say when. And that's a moving target. So that's my answer to that question. All right, a few more questions. And then we close it off for today.
This was a very like luxury podcast. And I think it was luxury mostly because I had that big pain spike last night and I just wanted to basically give this stuff away. These type form is annoying. Tech is tech is kind of annoying. Last question. Okay. Ooh. Oh, here we go. What biofeedback loops of coherence do we need to be present to? So what to sense for in ourselves and our bodies to keep our relationship with various non-human spirit beings grounded, evolving, contextualized, and flourishing? Basically, what biofeedback loops of coherence do we need to be present to? It is because I have seen people socialized, I'm including myself in here, in uh, white westernized environments, fetishizing flora and fauna beings. I live in LA, the land of plastic social relations, ableism, and diet culture. So biofeedback markers for navigation, which is great because it kind of fits into everything I was talking about. So there are two terms I'm going to put out here. One is integration and one is coherence. And there are concepts, so bear with me while I try to make them non-conceptual. So there is a way that we can start to feel when our body or our system our system is more integrated and more coherent. So integrated or more distributed and more coherent being like, I could actually choose what I'm paying attention to. And on some level, I can choose a uh, how I'm feeling about it, right? So that could be anything from like, I'm in a lot of pain, but I lay down and the pain gets better and I take a nap or I take a bath. I can't completely get rid of the pain, but I change my relationship to it and I feel a little bit better. Um, biofeedback markers for any of that would be, can you feel your feet, legs, lower, lower body, anus, perineum, genitals? Can you feel them? And when you feel them, does it feel better? Like, oh, I can feel better about my life when I connect to those parts of my body. That's one. It's not the only one because if your trauma is all up in there, you're going to be like, no, I can't do that. So then find something else. And what I would say is fingertips, toes, ears, as in not inside the ear, outside the ear, no, tip of the nose, lips, snout. So if this lower belly genital feet, legs thing isn't working for you, fingertips, lips, snout, nose, ears, toes. So those are all the extremities that have a high amount of nerve endings. So if you start to like, you know, touch your lips or like rub your fingers together or like feel your toes doing this and you can immediately feel better doing that, you know you're more or less coherent. Because people who are discoherent, they can't even fucking entertain that question. They don't even know how to connect their tips of their toes with their fingertips with their lips. And I'm saying, 
connecting them all together as like one system. Like as I'm talking to you right now, my attention is distributed between my snout, my fingertips, my toes, and my ears. And I can feel those as I'm talking to you. And I'm not losing the feeling of those while I think about things or figure out what to say next. I'm actually coherent, right? So that's like what you're trying to do is be able to stay with the whole and then make choices inside that and go, I want my attention to go here. And now when my attention goes here, what happens? Oh, I feel better. Oh, how does better feel? When I feel better, what do I want to do next? It's like you're, you're, you're changing the flow chart. And at a certain point, you feel radiant. And radiant is, this, is, is, a, is, a, is a type of coherence that is based on this expanding from center place. But sometimes we can't feel radiant because we feel tired and hungry and hurt. But there is a skill to feeling what radiance feels like in both yourself and other people. And radiance doesn't mean codependence, doesn't mean anything. It's just a feeling of like buoyancy and wholeness. It doesn't mean cured. It doesn't mean like pain-free. This is, this is very important because we've talked a lot about pain and radiance and coherence. We automatically think it's like pain-free. It's not. What we want to be able to do is, even during pain, feel radiant and coherent. And that is felt by other people. You can be in deep pain and still be radiant and coherent if you practice it. The people who are like, I can't be radiant and coherent if I'm in pain or if the pain is too much, that's a symptom of, or it's a signal to like, you need to practice more. Because if you're shut down when your life is painful, I mean, there's only so much, there's only so much that we can really, how much we can communicate. Um, and it's rough too, because some people are like, I'm shut down all the time. I'm like, yeah, it's tough. I used to be shut down all the time too. That's why I do this now and try to give away all the information for free because you have to practice it. No one can do it for you. But at a certain point in time, if you accumulate enough experiences in a certain direction, you don't go back. Once you remember certain things about who you actually are and what the body actually is, you just don't go back to the old way because it doesn't do anything for you. So your view is fun. Your view becomes fundamentally different. And then every day your questions about how to live your life are fundamentally different. You go, oh, what's effortless? What's pleasurable? What's radiant? What allows me to be in good, right relation? You ask these kinds of questions rather than other questions that you might have asked in the past. Right. You try to you try to make do with what is available in the moment while constantly increasing your options. This is just what I'm, you know, this is just what I'm talking about. It's like the world is as it is. Sometimes the options are limited. But if we can work with the center of that, from the center of that, and then just work to constantly increase our options a little bit, little by little, that's all we're doing. I have 0.5 more choices than I did the last time I was in this situation. 
And these are micro options, where your attention goes, the thoughts that you think, the parts of your body that are dissociated or not. These are micro choices or micro options. And you start to recognize, oh, everything around me could be the same, but I change one variable and it changes everything about my experience of the, of the situation. Right? And that's where, you know, this is the, this is like the infinite meditation because we're constantly making choices and we're constantly getting biofeedback and we're constantly slipping back into habit and we're constantly being threatened. And we have to navigate this myriad of factors and still kind of go, okay, no, I'm, I'm here. Oh, and now the wind came and tried to blow me over and, and now I need to move over here and now I need to move like this. And now I need to do this, right? So all of the movement practices that I talk about, which I haven't talked about a whole lot of movement practices in this podcast, but the practice that I primarily help people figure out is a kind of embodied dreaming in which they're always trying to find the next just right thing. So the next just right thing might be closing the eyes. The next just right thing might be taking a breath, rubbing the hands. But it starts to become like an octopus in the ocean. You can't track all the things that are happening, but the system itself is navigating itself towards betterness. But each tiny node of the octopus is almost like too complex to track. Like all of my fingers are moving right now, but I couldn't tell you what an individual finger is doing unless I really focused. But the point is, is that the system of the fingers is now trying to track what's the just right next step to feel better in this particular moment. And you can ride that shit forever. And the point is, is that we as a society um, have kind of forgotten that there's a, there's a really beautiful liminal trance, an embodied somatic liminal trance that we can be in that actually is like a, a dowsing rod, but it's not cognitive. It's not cognitive. It's just the system moving like seaweed, like octopus, like what, you know, like wind, like rain, you know, just, just moves. Right. Um, so maybe that's something we'll get into in future sessions. I want to thank you all for showing up to this long ass podcast um thank you all for being here we're going to say a brief prayer before we leave i'm going to check the chat one more time before we leave yeah okay okay yeah um you know if people want to chat i'm easy to find on facebook uh you can message me there Things are definitely happening in my sphere. Quite interesting, wild, unknown, curious. Uh, I like being in relation with all of you as a kind of system. I'm trying to sort of live into indigenous complex systems more and really try to break Western one-on-one -on -one counseling modality. It just needs to be done for my ancestors. It needs to be done for all of the people that have been harmed by that system. 
So I just want you to know that um, there's real reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing, even if it's scary or strange or weird. Um, there's just bigger, there's bigger currents that need to be addressed. So thank you to everyone. Thank you to the spirit of pain. Thank you to the Holy Mother Death. Thank you to all of the ancestors and all of the descendants. Thank you to all of our relations. If there is anything that uh, was left out that needed to be put in, please give that to people. Um, please give that to people in the way that they can receive it, that is decentralized and distributed. I want to finish by just saying that I watched parts of the the Grammy Awards last night. That shit's wild. Just so you know, I haven't watched anything like that in a long time. It was really, if you could watch, if you can watch, it's like three hours long. It's, it's kooky. Um, but I just have this, this reality that like, you know, music and sound is kind of what connects humans at a basic level. Um, all of our various different religions experiences, gender expression, sexual preferences, etc. Those are sort of like sprinkles on top of it. They're all very important, but they're not the thing that connects us all. There is a, there is a real unity and continuity to the human experience. So every human, not just the humans you agree with, but all the humans. And watching the Grammys and all of the various forms that that expression takes really sort of just helped me in a certain way that is really interesting. Um, music and sound and this expression of music and sound in all of the various forms that it takes does point us back to the fundamental unity or the commonality and I do think that in this age of culture war, fragmentation, Westernism versus indigeneity, uh, whiteness versus blackness, all of the things that we're facing, it would behoove us all to remember our commonality more, even as we are different sovereign interdependent beings with unique expressions of everything but that the spirit of that commonality is the center that I'm talking about. Because even if you go to the center through a deity, at the center of that deity is a non-deity center. It's like the commonality of all commonality. It's like just pure energy. And that for me is the thing because in this time of massive cultural appropriation and confusion we have to learn to see patterns and we have to learn to see patterns underneath patterns until we can get to common commonalities that provide the most benefit for the most amount of beings that can hear it and not keep trailing off into hyper specific hyper 
particular cult or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But like, we've done a lot of that in the last few hundred years, this kind of like deep, extreme over there isms. But um, we got to go back to the base. We got to find the commonality again. And we have to find the commonality, not in a codependent way, but from a completely self-arising place. Completely right here, right now, all the time. No need to grasp, no need to, uh, uh, no need to strive, no need to differentiate. Even as much as differentiation is helpful to, to, to deal with our problems, in fact, differentiation is key to being able to distribute and integrate. At a certain point in that process, touching the undifferentiated is really the, the thing that all of the wisdom traditions and all of my teachers have been trying to help us do, is just touch the undifferentiated commonplace. So with that being said, may all beings be well. May all beings be loved and may all beings be at peace. Thank you so much for your time. Blessings.